Welcome to the Excel Still More podcast. I am your host, Chris Emerson. I'm here to encourage you in your walk with God. Thank you for joining in. Today's podcast is sponsored by a wonderful company, Creation to Revelation. This group of Christians believe it is extremely important that we teach the Word of God to our kids. They have original graphic illustrations from the beginning of the Bible to the end, featuring the beautiful and consistent presence of Jesus throughout. You can explore all of that at creationtorevelation.com. I'm so thankful you're here, so let's get started. Hey, welcome back, and once again, thank you for joining and for all of your support. I just want to take a minute at the opening of this episode to tell you about a milestone that we just passed and another that we're closing in on. And it just makes me so grateful to have faithful friends and people who believe in what we're doing. Today is episode number 202, and I wasn't aware that we had passed that 200 mark, but that's actually pretty rare in this industry to get to that point and still have good support. So thank you for that. The second one could happen within the next few weeks. We're closing in on 1 million downloads. And for a program that started in my closet, where I hope to share a few things that were working in my life to connect to so many wonderful people and create the most incredible relationships, it's just all been amazing, and I want to thank you for making it possible. So speaking of things that are working right now in my life that I'm passionate about sharing, You can tell right away from today's title that our focus will be on the family. I want to talk to you about the relationships that exist inside your home. We will look at the connection between parents and children, husbands and wives, and even toss in a thing or two about siblings and other connections like that. My hope today is that your home, and especially if it is a Christian home, can become a training ground, a proving ground, ground for the kind of influence and relationship development that God wants you to have in the world. I did an episode a couple of months ago called Circles of Importance, where we talked about how, for me at least, in the very middle is God, and then the next ring is my wife and kids, and then outside of that, my brothers and sisters in Christ, and then the world around us, all of the different neighbors that God weaves into my day. But those circles do not just represent importance, they also represent influence. The most influential relationship I have is with God, His impact on me every day, and really, my impact on Him. He is an emotional God, and He reacts to my choices. But next in line is not Christians, not for me. Next in line is not that person that I see at the supermarket. The next most important and influential relationship is with the people that I share a home with. The things that I do and say matter to them, and their conduct matters to me. But also, the way that we do all of that, and how we handle each other and work through our issues, is part of setting ourselves up to be more influential for the rings that come after it. In other words, if you have a healthy family, you can have a healthy impact on your brothers and sisters in Christ. If you know how to work through issues in the emotionally charged environment of the home, which, by the way, is supposed to be the people that you love the most in the world, you have equipped yourself 
to handle some stranger that you might meet on the street. It is confounding to me, impossible to explain, how some people do not use good Christian qualities consistently in their home, but they do when they show up at the church building. Maybe they argue with family and elevate themselves and hold grudges, and then they'll go out and meet some stranger on the street and give them every benefit of the doubt. Listen, all of those good things that God wants me to do among Christians and neighbors, those are the things I want to be practicing at home. I want to get good at them at home, and I also want to be known for them at home. And by the way, before we get into four very specific things about how to do all of this in your home, I want to talk to you about that word practicing for a moment. Sometimes it is used, even in scripture, of training, like when you are in a batting cage working on your hitting to prepare for the game. And I do want you to see it that way. If I hope to be gentle in the world, I practice being gentle at home. If patience is needed among brethren, I need to have already worked on patience with my spouse or my kids. But I really think there's a definition of practicing that's more important than that. Like a medical doctor, they have a practice. And they don't mean, hey, we're just trying things out here, working out some kinks, so come let us work on you. The word practice for them takes on a more encouraging meaning. They mean, this is a place where I consistently do certain things, where I have gotten good at things, where you can count on me to do them. This relates to language in the book of Philippians and 1 John, where it talks about practicing righteousness, making those the standard operating procedures of your life. And so while the things I'll share with you in the back half of this episode need to be worked on at home so that you can do them with integrity in other places, and also you can validate that conduct in other places by the way you behave at home, I'm actually looking at the home as perhaps more important than those things where certain spiritual qualities become standard practice between siblings, parents, kids, and everyone. This goes back to that old preacher saying about the guy who saved the whole world and lost his family. I am not going out like that, and I don't want you to go out like that either. So let me broaden this scope a little bit to some things about missions of mercy that we discussed previously and then zero in on family examples. You have heard me say in much earlier episodes that you are a vessel. You are a container, a cup, made by God to be filled to the brink with the Holy Spirit so that you pour out the qualities of the Spirit into the lives and to benefit the lives of every single person that you meet, but also the person that you married, and also the person who sits at the dinner table with you. And that's what I'm asking you to think about this week. It's easy to get that imagery of a cup filled with the Spirit. I'm going to pour it into the life of my coworkers and people I see at church on Wednesday night and this person that I just met at the ball field. And God is saying, first and foremost, pour it into your home. I cannot validate poor behavior in my home in a place of great familiarity by being exceptionally spiritual with someone that I only met once for 30 seconds, or someone that I see a couple of hours a week. I am committed to practicing 
the pouring forth of the Spirit at home. We linked that to some terminology a month or so back in terms of missions of mercy. I know my purpose. I'm on a mission to reflect the great light of Jesus and the hope of the Holy Spirit into the lives of others. And it's a merciful mission where I tell them that I need God and I am the perfect example of how great God's grace must be. And I want them to know that they too can have mercy and that God is forgiving and kind and helpful. And Jesus teaches us exactly how to do that in Matthew chapter 18 with four very simple concepts that I am about to share with you and not for the first time. But today, I don't want you thinking about going afar upon the mountain, seeking the lost in the great distances of the unknown. I want you thinking about being intentional, about a mission of mercy in your own home, with your parents, with your little brother, or with your spouse. I want to frame this in a way that almost sounds prideful, but I would like for you to say it to yourself. I want to be great in my home. I want to be great in the world with lost people who need Jesus. I want to be great in the church, really being an encourager of people. But I need to be great in my home, and I must. Now, the reason I worded it that way is because our focus will be on Matthew 18 for the last half of this episode, where the disciples, really good men, were arguing about who was the greatest. And so Jesus says, all right, gather up. I will tell you exactly what qualities show greatness. And the very first thing he talked about was being humble. He has this child come and sit on his lap, and he says, listen, great people, Until you are converted to become like this child, you will never truly be great in any setting. Now, the point he makes here is really important, especially if you are in a position of power. If you are a husband and father, or you are a mother over your children, or a big brother over a little one. Leadership only works in a humble heart, where you refuse to elevate yourself above anyone else or consider yourself and your needs more important than theirs. Because compared to Jesus, you're just like that child. Helpless, hopeless, unable to care for yourself, and completely vulnerable to whatever Jesus decides to do. And from that point of unworthiness, when you look at the mercy that Christ has shown you, as Paul talked about in 1 Timothy 1, he said, you're not going to believe this, but Jesus saved me. Me. I'm the worst. And he took care of me. And it was that tremendous attitude of humility that made him so relatable to everyone that he met. So let's practice this at home. Decide when you walk through the front door, I am the least important person in this room. I am the most blessed person that I know by the mercies of God and the love of others. In every conversation that I have in my home, especially in controversy and disagreement, I will always see myself sitting on the lap of Jesus, just grateful that he loves me and that he is so patient with me, though I do not deserve it. And I will carry that into my marriage. I will carry it into every part of how I deal with the people that I love. It's interesting here in Ephesians 5 and 6, where it talks about wives submitting and Husbands loving their wives. 
children obeying their parents and fathers raising their children, in all of those verses, Jesus' name is mentioned. As to the Lord, like Jesus Christ, in the Lord. Because my ability to fulfill those roles in my home only works when I can see Jesus in the room. I have compared myself to him, and it has humbled me. Number two, Jesus said, be careful when you talk to my children. He said, it would be better for you to be drowned in the sea than to cause one of my believing children to stumble. Jesus is talking in generic terms. Whoever you meet, wherever you meet them, if they are some sheep that he is pursuing right to the edge of the cliff, about to reach out and pull them in, and you, some reckless sheep who thinks they're helping, bumps the other one over the cliff to its death. I think what Jesus is saying is, in that case, there will be two sheep in the bottom of this ravine today. So we kind of know that. When we're dealing with people at church or even where we work or in other places who've made mistakes, who are really struggling, who need guidance, we have to be careful with our words And we have to approach things carefully, and they have to know that we are invested and that we care, and it has to be reflected, like in Galatians 6, in the gentleness of spirit in the way that we seek to bring about change. My message to you on this is simple. Practice at home. Supposedly, we love no one more than our children or parents or spouse. If so, we should do everything possible to keep from pushing them over the edge. Fathers are told in Ephesians 6 not to provoke their own children. Wives are told that by their quiet and respectful behavior, they can win the souls of their husband. I don't know why it is that we often guard what we say the least around the people that we love the most. But I've got an idea. Let's just stop it. Understand your tremendous influence in your home, no matter your age. Speak properly, humbly, and carefully. Siblings, quick note for you, if you're the older one in the family, no matter what your younger brother or sister says, they look up to you, they want to be like you, and they probably will. You really don't want to find Jesus in your 20s or 30s and get your life right, but have a younger sibling who followed in your wayward footsteps while you were home, but never made it back to Christ. Be careful. Number three in that text, Jesus said, be useful. In verses 12 through 17, he talked about if your brother sins, go to them in private and try to win your brother. That's the whole point. Win them back to what is right. If that doesn't work, you get one or two more to go with you and you try to win your brother. If that doesn't work, you find all of the believers that know you both and you try to win your brother. You are approaching them, perhaps even confronting them in the proper method of love and for the proper purpose of seeing them find their way. Well, if you ever want to get good at that in the church, then practice at home. If someone in your home has done something you don't think is right, then go sit down with them one-on-one and try to help them. If that doesn't work, bring a parent in or a sibling and sit down and try to help them. If the whole family needs to sit down at a table and discuss things, do so humbly, carefully, and to help them. So many of our confrontations in our families are about winning. It's competitive. I don't want to win them to what's right. I just want to beat them by being proven right. And I can think of exactly zero places in the whole world where that attitude works. 
or where God would prescribe it. So what am I thinking in my marriage where she makes a mistake and somehow I make that about me and about some form of personal victory or elevation? It means that I don't understand how to be useful and I'm not being useful. And instead of encouraging good behavior, I might be the one preventing it. And I'd like to add here just a note to parents. I know that you love your children and that you want what's best for them and that discipline is about their betterment, or at least it should be. But maybe they're not getting that message. So the methods and the manners of even the one in authority is not ultimately useful because in some cases it may not be delivering that message of hope to them and in other cases it may just look like it's all about you. In that case, Dr. Phil would ask you, How's that working out for you? Or in other words, it's time for a reevaluation. So then Jesus puts in a fourth thing. No matter which role you're in in your home or what conflict is being discussed, in addition to being humble, careful, and useful, don't forget to be merciful. We've talked about all of this in a previous episode in terms of missions of mercy to the world. Jesus told this amazing story about a man who was forgiven 10,000 talents, billions of dollars worth of debt. He begged and it was gifted to him. And that same guy goes out and finds someone who owes him three months wages and begins to strangle the guy because he can't repay him. And you know what that means in the church. It means no matter what someone has done, no matter what they're doing, we are so thankful that God has forgiven us that we will go to the ends of the earth to help this person and we will forgive them entirely. When this message is conveyed to a sinner in the world who's never even seen that kind of mercy, they will run to the cross and they will join themselves joyously to the church where you worship. That all sounds great, right? So let's practice at home. Practice being the father of the prodigal son, waiting for any inclination of return and then receiving him without any consequence or restitution. Isn't it amazing that God continues to be that kind to you? Well, whether you're a father or a wife or a brother or sister, be merciful to the people that you love. Always give them a way back. Fill them with hope and expectation that while sin may have consequences or punishment, repenting will always trigger compassion and lead to great hope and no grudges. And don't be afraid to tell them how merciful God has been to you. Listen, I really want to become a person like that, so connected to God that humility and care and usefulness and mercy just emanate from me into the lives of everyone I meet at church and in the world. But what's the point if I am not displaying these incredible qualities among the wonderful family that God has gifted to me? So I hope you're with me when I say I think it's time to start practicing at home. Thank you so much for joining in today. If you enjoyed this program, consider sharing it with your family and your friends. As always, you can go to excelstillmore.life to sign up for the email, order the three-month journal, or just catch up on old episodes. And also, if you are looking for financial advice or future planning, give John Cunningham a call today, 205-913-1720. And remember this, whatever you choose to do today in the name of the Lord Jesus, excel still more.